Πάτερ ημών, ο εν της ουρανής, αγιαστήτο το όνομά σου, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. to the second week in a series that we've been in now that we've been calling Teach Us to Pray. And as you can tell from the title of the series, what we've been spending our time kind of dealing with through this series is the topic of uh, prayer. And particularly what we're doing is we're actually looking to the Bible uh, to teach us very kind of instructions in how to pray. I just kind of want to reiterate as we get started something that Tommy just mentioned a a moment ago, and that is this. If you're a guest with us here tonight at the Medina East Campus, we are so, so, so thankful that you're able to be with us. Uh, We hope that you feel welcome and comfortable, and we're so glad that you're able to to be here tonight. And uh, But I will say this. If if you are a guest and you missed last week, um, we are in the second part of a series that we started, which is totally cool if you missed last week. But I just want to tell you that because if we say anything tonight that catches your interest or anything that's intriguing or maybe uh, causes some questions, uh, that might be a good opportunity for you. We'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first part of this series, and you can catch that online if you want to. Uh, That is available on our podcast. You can listen to that. You can watch that. All of that, of course, is for free, and it is for you, and we'd encourage you uh, to do that. But if you are just jumping in and you missed last week, let me just kind of summarize kind of in a nutshell what we've been saying. And so in this series, what we've been doing is we've actually been dissecting or or kind of our game plan is to dissect uh, the Lord's Prayer. We said that the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father is most probably the most famous prayer in all of the Bible. Chances are good you guys are probably familiar with that in one way or another. If you're not, that's okay. Uh, We're going to take a look at it here in a moment. Uh, But basically, we said that the Lord's Prayer is a prayer that Jesus gave as an instruction to teach his disciples to pray. And so last week, we looked at a passage where Jesus' disciples came to him. And we said, these disciples, these are guys who would have followed Jesus, and they would have had a unique uh, kind of vantage point and access into the life of Jesus. And we said that these guys spent some time watching Jesus, and they noticed that his prayer life was characteristically different than theirs. And so at one point, they came to Jesus, and they said to him, after he was done praying, they said, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? Can you teach us to do what you're doing? Because your prayer life looks characteristically different than the way that we pray. And we said, Jesus looked at them and Jesus said, yes, I can teach you to pray. And we said, that's actually really fascinating because what it tells us is this. It tells us that prayer is something that can be taught and learned, right? Jesus didn't look at his disciples and say, I'm sorry, guys, I can't teach you to pray. You know, he's just talking to God. There's no wrong way to do it. And you just pray how you want to pray and I'll just pray how I want to pray. And that's just it. I can't really teach. Jesus didn't say that. She said, no, I can teach you how to do this, which reveals to us that that we can learn to pray. And it also reveals to us this, that it is possible that maybe you're a person that grew up in the church or maybe you grew up praying. It is possible that you may have been approaching that with a misunderstanding of what prayer is. Because prayer is something that can be taught and learned, that means that there is a right way to do it. And that means that there are wrong ways that you 
can pray. And so because of that, what we've been doing is we've been looking together at the Lord's Prayer. And again, why don't we just go ahead and look at that again this evening as we kind of jump into this. And so if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them with me. Let's take them and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and take them out, and we will flip together to Matthew chapter 6. Or if you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can open up your Bible app. You can get to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be um, tonight. Let me just say, too, if you didn't bring a Bible with you or if you don't have access to a Bible... Uh, if you could just do us a favor and just uh, go ahead and grab one of our Bibles that we have laid out there, you can take that Bible and you can turn to page 678. So one way or the other, if you can get this in front of you, that'd be a really good thing. So Matthew chapter 6, go ahead and grab that and, uh, and do that. And then let me also say real quick, if you're a guest with us here tonight and you don't own a Bible, we think it's really, really important that you have a copy of God's Word. And so you can just go ahead and take one of our Bibles, make that a gift from us to you, and, uh, and you can have that. Okay, so Matthew chapter 6, go ahead and flip there. And again, in this context, in this passage, we're going to see the very famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer. So let's just go ahead and look at that again together. We'll start off in verse 9. So here again is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, this then, teaching his disciples, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we started looking at this prayer last week. And if you were with us, you might remember we said that Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And we said that this passage is actually never, was never intended uh, to simply be a mantra to be memorized. And so we talked about that last week. We said rather what this is, is Jesus is giving us a model in which we are to pattern our prayer life after. And so it's for that reason that what we've been doing in this series is we said we want to just take the next several weeks and we want to dissect this prayer phrase by phrase. And so we want to look at each phrase and kind of unpack what does Jesus mean when he says to pray this way. And so this week as we begin that, I want to just look at the first phrase and we want to spend the entire time that we have talking about the very first phrase of this prayer and that's this, our Father in heaven. Right? So we just want to focus there. When Jesus says, I want to teach you to pray, you can learn to pray like me. And he says, come on, disciples, I want, to, I want to kind of give you some insights in prayer. The place he begins, the starting point is here. Our Father in heaven. Now, why is this the starting place of prayer? How does this help inform prayer? How does this help, um, uh, help us understand how to pray? And we're going to look at that here um, together. Okay, so we're going to take a look at that. So why don't we do this? Let's have a word of prayer. Let's ask God to help us in our time here together. And then we'll go ahead and we'll jump in and we'll, we'll start talking about talking to God as our Father. So let's pray together. Well, Father in heaven, I, I want to say thank you um, just for the opportunity that we have to be here, to gather here around your word. And uh, Lord, you know, we, we come here, um, again, we're not, we're not coming here because uh, this is some religious duty. We're here because we want to hear from you. And so, Father, we come with eager hearts, with hungry hearts, that you would show us and teach us and reveal to us what it is you have for us. We're not here to hear from a man. We're here to hear from you. And so, God, I pray that because of that, that you would, you would help us to have a fresh connection with you. And so, Lord, meet us here. I beg you. I ask you. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's interesting, when, it, when Jesus starts his prayer and he says the beginning point of understanding what prayer is really about is starting here, seeing God as Father. It actually reminded me, and it's going to sound weird to some of you, it actually reminded me of um, this game that we used to play when I used to help lead student ministries. 
And so I've been on, on staff here at Grace Church for about 10 years, <laughs> a little over a decade I've been on staff here at Grace. And before I was at Grace Church here um, in Greater Akron, I actually helped serve um, at a youth ministry in Chicago. And so I uh, went to school in Chicago and I helped with a youth ministry there. And if you guys have ever been part of a youth ministry or if you've ever been part of a student ministry, there's probably a couple things you know. One is, it is absolutely fun. It is just off the chain, exciting. There's a high level of enthusiasm. Uh, there is a high level of inappropriateness. Uh, there is a low level of maturity, which is exactly where I'm at, and so it works really well. And it was just an absolute blast. And, and you know, you end up loving the kids, and it was so fun. And there was this one game we, we, we played, and it was, it was intended for high schoolers. And so you can imagine it's a little inappropriate and a little immature, but it's a lot of fun. And it was a game, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, it was a game that, that was called a roller, roller Coaster Toilet Bowl. And uh, like I said, like a kind of an immature game, but here's how it worked, okay? And so we would play this game, and basically we'd get together on youth night, and there'd be like a group of like maybe 60 or 70 students that would show up to this thing. And so one of the leaders would get up at the beginning of our time, and they would say, hey, we're going to play this game tonight, and it's going to be a lot of fun. they say, so to do this game, we need three willing volunteers. And so, of course, you can imagine in a high school setting, some people are just really eager to do that. And so three students would immediately raise their hands. And so that leader would say, okay, I want you to come with me. So the volunteers would come with that leader. And that leader would then take them into an isolated room that was apart from the large gathering space. And in that room, they would have this conversation with them. They would say, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're playing kind of a glorified game of charades. And they said, and, and what's going to happen is you're going to go out on the stage here in a minute, and there's a chair on the stage. And they said, and each one of you is going to enact a different action until people can guess what it is that you're doing. And so the first person they looked at, the first volunteer, they said, you are going to be enacting um, like a roller coaster scenario. Okay, so you're going to pretend like you're on a roller coaster. And they said, and not just any roller coaster, this is like, like top thrill dragster, millennium force type of, you know, this is like a mega coaster. I just want you to, to do that. And they're like, okay. And then they went to the second volunteer and they said, and here's your job. We want you to enact like you're getting just the most relaxing, alleviating massage that you could ever, you know, get. And, and so, okay, and then I went to the third volunteer. And I said, and we want you to go out, the third person, we want you to go out, we want you to pretend like you are being tortured by some enemy force that's trying to extract information from you, but you are unwilling to give it, regardless of how hard they torture you. Okay, you got it? And everyone's like, we got it, we got it. So, okay, that's what you're gonna do. Now, while that conversation was happening, in that isolated room, there was another conversation that was happening in the big room. And that conversation went something like this. The leader would get up and they would say, hey, in a moment, three people are gonna come through this door and they are each going to enact what their bathroom procedure looks like. And so there's a chair on the stage, which obviously represented the seat that's in the bathroom and those type of things. And so now you got one, you got this group that's under one impression and you got these other people. So, so the first person came out, and they're thinking roller coaster. And so they sit down, and they got their hands up, and they're going up the hill, you know, and they're going around corners, and they're jumping, and, and I mean, everyone is just coming unglued. They're just laughing so hard. And then, then the second person comes out, and this is the massage person. And they're like, oh, oh, 
this is like, and we're just like rolling on the ground laughing. And then the third person comes out, the person that's getting tortured, you know? And they're just like, they're just sitting there going, no, no, you know? And you're just like, you're like, we're like on the ground rolling, laughing. And, and, and we let this go on for like, seriously, for like five minutes before we, we said, okay, here's what's actually happening. And everyone just laughed. It was so, so, so funny. And, and it's funny, I was thinking about that game and I know that's kind of an immature game. I know that's kind of uh, maybe a little bit inappropriate. I was actually kind of considering playing it with you guys tonight, but I thought, nah, we're adults. We probably shouldn't do that. But as I was thinking about it, I thought, even though that game is a little immature, it does prove a really solid point, doesn't it? And what is the point that it proves? Here's what it proves. It is entirely possible for two people to witness the same activity. It is entirely possible for two people to go through the exact same motions and be under the impression that, that two very different things are happening, right? It's entirely possible. And why? Because if you don't understand the premise of something, if you don't understand the foundation of what it is that you're actually doing, uh, you are susceptible to misunderstanding the whole thing. And, and the reason I bring that up is because Jesus, when he teaches on prayer, when he introduces his teaching on prayer, he begins by saying, when you pray, this is how I want you to pray. Our Father in heaven. And I want you to know that what Jesus is doing when he says that is he's not just giving an introduction to the prayer. What Jesus is doing is he's giving us the foundation of prayer itself. He's saying, if you want to know what prayer is, you've got to understand what the premise is. If you want to know what prayer is, you have to first understand what it is that you're actually doing. And so he says, you want to know prayer? Here's what it is. Prayer is talking to your Father in heaven. It is the foundation of prayer, it is the premise of prayer, and it is the goal of prayer. And if you don't understand that, then you are susceptible to misunderstanding prayer. And it's fascinating because, you know, when you think about it, understanding prayer is not just about understanding what it is, it's also about understanding what it is not. Which is actually, to me, really fascinating because that is exactly what Jesus does when he begins his teaching on prayer. You know, one of the things that we're going to notice here today is that when Jesus begins his teaching on prayer, before he tells us what the premise or the basis of prayer is, he first begins by telling us what it is not. He says, when you pray, don't do it like this. And that's what I want to look at. And so here's what we're going to do for the rest of our time. Let me just kind of tell you where we're going. I want to look at two false premises for prayer, two false premises that are, that are common misconceptions about prayer. And then I want to look at what the true premise of prayer is, talking to God as Father. Okay, so let's, let's do that. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to jot this down. Here's false premise number one, according to Jesus. False premise number one, I would say, is this. It's prayer as a performance. Prayer as performance. False premise one. Jesus says, you want to know what prayer is? Let me first tell you right out of the gate what it's not. Okay, prayer is not a performance. It's not what it is. You're like, what are you talking about? Well, let me show you what Jesus says. Look at verse five. Jesus goes in his teaching and prayer. He says, when you pray, now remember, he's talking to his disciples here. When you pray, my disciples, those who follow me, don't be like the hypocrites, he says. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So Jesus, in his teaching on prayer, first begins by telling us or teaching us against certain types of prayer. And the first type of prayer that he tells us to not engage in is what he calls kind of hypocritical or performance prayer. You notice the word he says here. He says, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Notice that word. Uh, some of you might know this already, but the word hypocrite in the Greek language is where we get our English word actor from. 
Okay, it's that idea of being a, a performer, uh, someone who is a theatrical actor or puts on theatrical performances. And so Jesus says, when you pray, I don't want you to be like an actor. And what do actors do? All of us understand this. An actor is a person who plays a convincing part in front of an audience that convinces them, about to, convinces them that they're somebody that they're really not. And Jesus says, when you pray, I don't want you to pray that way. I don't want you to pray like the hypocrites do, performance prayer. And Jesus, I think he's warning against this because he knows that this is a common misunderstanding about prayer. This is a common false premise as it relates to prayer. And so you might be thinking, well, then how, how do I know if, if, if my prayer life is built on that false premise? Well, Jesus actually gives us a couple indications. Do you notice? He says, you want to know if you're falling into the performance prayer mentality? He says, watch your location. Where do you pray? And he says, and watch what it is that you're looking for as a reward. What's the goal? So notice first, he says, watch your location. Do you notice what he says? He says, don't pray like the hypocrites because, look, they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners. And many of you guys know the synagogue would have been the religious hub in that society. The street corners would have been a high traffic area where there was a high volume of people at any given time. And so Jesus says, listen, if you want to know if you're basing your, face, your, your, your prayer off of a false premise, he says, watch the location of where you pray. He says, are you praying in, in religious settings? Are you praying in public places where there's an audience that can hear your prayers? Now, let's just be clear here. Let me just kind of clarify I don't think what Jesus is doing here, by the way, is I don't think he is condemning public prayer, and I don't think Jesus is condemning corporate prayer. And I know that because Jesus himself engaged in those activities. Jesus prayed with other people. Jesus prayed in public, and so he's not condemning that. But I think what he's saying here is obvious. I think you and I both understand this, that what Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, if the only time you ever pray is when you're with other people, if the only time you ever find yourself engaging in prayer is when you're in a religious setting around other people, if the only time you engage in prayer is when there is an audience that you can perform for, right? If the only time you ever pray is when you're at life group on whatever night that is, if the only time you ever pray is when you're at a church activity where you can pray out loud, he says, if that's it, if there's never any other occasions in your life that you find yourself praying, he says, that is a symptom, that is an indication uh, that you are building your prayer life off of a false premise that you're falling into performance prayer. So he says, you have to watch your location, but then also notice, he says in here, he says, one of the ways you can know that you're, you're engaging in performance prayer is what is the goal of your prayer? What is the goal of performance prayer? Do you guys see it? He says it in this verse. He says this. He says, they pray in street corners on synagogues to be seen by others. That's the goal. The goal is to be seen by others. It's actually really interesting. In the original language, the word seen literally means to illuminate. It means to to, to shine brightly. What is, that, what is that talking about? Well, basically, he's saying, when you pray, don't seek to be a religious star that draws attention to yourself, that illuminates. There's a reason we call Hollywood actors stars. Why is that? It's because they shine brightly. It is because they put on such a convincing and such a, such a um, inspiring and, and, and such a convincing role in their performance that we all want to pay attention to them. We all want to pay money to go watch them do what it is that they do because they're so inspiring in their performance. And so Jesus says, when you pray, don't, don't seek to be a religious star. Don't seek to do that. Now, now listen, I think the reason that Jesus is warning against this is because for many of us, we know that this is a very real temptation that can happen 
in religious circles. And listen, if you're a person that grew up in the church, I know that some of you did, or if you're a person that maybe has been a Christian for a while, and I know that's not everyone. Some of you right now are in a place where you're still trying to investigate the whole God thing, or you're still investigating Jesus, and you're not sure what you believe, which, by the way, let me just say, if you're investigating Jesus, we count it a privilege that you would let us be part of that investigation, right? But, but here's the thing, and this might sound weird to you if you're a person that, that, that didn't grow up in the church or whatever, is that if you grew up in the church or if you've been a Christian for a while, isn't it true that this is a very real danger that can happen? That, man, we can get real good at this. We can get real good at knowing the right thing to say, at, at saying something the right way or doing the right things or putting on the right performance to somehow convince other people that I have a right relationship with God that doesn't actually exist. It's possible. Listen, I'll just be the first to confess to you. I can totally do this. I can play this game. I've been in Bible school for a long time. I went to seminary. I've been part of a church. I know how to say the right things. And this can happen in prayer too. And Jesus is saying, don't pray that way. We can do this in prayer. And so prayer, honestly, for some of us can be an opportunity for us to show off our theological prowess. And so we can pray. We can, maybe, maybe it looks like this. We get together and kind of like, God, Lord God, Almighty, Father of creator, sustainer of the universe. You are Jehovah Jireh. You are Jehovah Rophi. You are Adonai. You are Emmanuel. God, well, you are the bishop of souls. You are the lion of the tribe of Judah, right? And I could pray that way, and you might be thinking, man, that guy knows a lot of names for God. That's super impressive, right? And I can do that. I can, I can, I can, I can try to show off my theological prowess and impress you in some way. Or for some of you, you know exactly the right things to say when you pray that make other people around you do that thing, you know that thing where it's kind of like, it, it's like they just ate a piece of really good dessert and they're like, mmm, mmm, yes, Lord, mm. You know what I mean? And, and look, I'm, I'm, I, hear me, I'm making light of that. Um, but is it wrong to pray theology? No, 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 pray theology. It's a good thing to pray your theology. That's not what I'm saying. Is it a bad thing to agree with each other in prayer audibly? No, I actually think that's a really valuable thing. So please don't hear me unnecessarily criticizing that. But what I am saying is this, is that Jesus says, look, this is a danger and you gotta be cautious. Performance prayer is the wrong basis for prayer. So what's the right basis? Well, notice how Jesus, uh, how he interacts with this. Notice how he contrasts this type of praying. He says, but when you pray, now remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the disciples. When you pray, disciples of Jesus, followers of Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's talking to you and me. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. See what Jesus says? He says, you're talking to your father. Again, he's showing us what the true premise of prayer is. It's talking to your father. And what I think is so fascinating in this is that notice he mentions location again. I think this is interesting. Jesus says, hey, if you want to learn to pray, if you want to learn to pray like I pray, location matters. That's what Jesus just said. Notice what he says. Look at this. He says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who's unseen. Go into your room, close the door, pray to your father. Some of you have different translations. Your translation might say, go to your closet, which is really weird. (laughs) close the door and pray to me in unseen. What's all that about? What does he mean by that? Is Jesus being literal? Is he saying the only way that you can pray is to go into your room and shut the door and that's how you do it? Well, I don't think he's being literal in that sense. Um, And I, I think that because never once in the New Testament do you ever see Jesus go into his room and close the door and pray. You never see that. 
But what do you see Jesus do? We looked at this last week. Jesus had a custom. He had a habit in his life where he would go and purposefully isolate himself from the crowds and go into the wilderness or go into lonely places and spend time with God alone. So what does he mean when he says, go into your room and shut? I think here's what he says. If you want to pray, if you want to go places in prayer that you have never been before, and if you want to learn things about prayer that you have never learned before, he says, go spend Go and get um, intentional time alone with me. Do you notice the intentionality of the wording here, by the way? Look at this. Go into your room. He doesn't say, wait till you have a chance or while you're on the go. That's not what he says. Go into your room. Make, make, make a habit out of it. You have to intentionally carve out time. Make this, go into your room, close the door. You see what he's saying? Make sure you're by yourself. No one else is around, just you and God. Talk to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, if you want to go places you've never gone in prayer, location matters. And I want you to meet me in solitude, and I want you to meet me alone. Now, at this point, some of you might be thinking, well, hold on a minute. Wait a minute. I, I was always told that I could pray anywhere, and I could pray everywhere. That doesn't matter. I can pray anywhere I am. And is that true? By the way, is that true? Can you pray anywhere? Yeah, I, I think so. I believe that with all my heart. I think that's why the Bible says to pray without ceasing. I think that's why the Bible says in all occasions pray. So can you pray while you're driving 70 miles an hour down Route 18? Because let's be honest, that's how fast you go until you see that, that speedometer sign that tells you how fast then you slow down, right? That's what I do at least. Can you pray when you're doing that? Yeah, totally, right? Can you pray in the 10th inning of Game 7 in the World Series? Yeah, I did, didn't you? I was like, God, please let the Indians win. I prayed that prayer with all the, the authenticity in my heart I could muster up, right? You pray that. Can you pray right before you have the define the relationship talk with that girl you've had a crush on for a long time? Can you, God, dear God, please help me. Hope she likes me. Amen. Like, could you do that? Totally. Yeah, I think God, God is, but listen, there's something different. Jesus says, if you really want to learn to pray, not just on the go prayer, not just the Hail Mary, not just, oh God, please help me. Not just those prayers. Go, go be alone. Go, go, go in your room, close the door and meet me there. And what I think is so fascinating is what Jesus says next, because notice he, he says something about a reward. Here's what he says. He says, then your father, who sees what's done in secret, this is so weird, he will reward you. He will reward you. And it's really interesting because that word reward literally means reward or to pay back. And at this point, some of you are like, now we're talking. All right. So if I go and I close my door and pray to God, then he'll give me what I want, Right? So I've been asking God for this thing and he hasn't been answering me and so I understand. I got the formula wrong, right? So I just got to go in my room and shut the door and then he'll listen to me. Is that right? Thank you, preacher man. You helped me. And if that's what you're thinking, let me just say, um, I think you're misunderstanding prayer and I'll, I'll talk about, in fact, Jesus is going to show us that here in a second. But it does beg a really good question, doesn't it? And I think it's a great question. What is, what is the reward he's talking about? What is that reward? And I'll be honest with you, I don't really know. Uh, because the Bible doesn't really say. But my guess is that you probably have some thoughts, and I'll be honest, I think I have a really good idea of what I think it is. Let me, let me share it with you, and I'd love to hear if you have a different opinion, but here's what I think it is. I think because Jesus says that if you want to understand prayer, you have to understand it in relational terms, that God is Father, I believe that that means we have to understand the reward in relational terms. What do I mean? All right, well, let me, let me explain it this way. So my wife and I have been married for 10 years now, uh, it'll be 10 years here in March that we, we would be married. And my wife and I, <clears throat> we can talk anywhere. We can talk, in fact, we do. We talk everywhere. We could talk in the kitchen. 
when we're making dinner for our crazy kids. We can talk uh, in the midst of the craziness of life. It's talk, you know, hey, did you pick up the such and such? And, oh, Tuesdays, you know, do, are you working? Do you got something going on on Tuesday? Such and such wants to get together. Okay, I got to, oh, I forgot about this. We talk all the time. We can talk in the car on our way to the 37th event for our kid that day. You know, oh, did you, did you, you know, we could just talk about whatever. How was your day? How was your, it was fine. It was good, you know, blah, blah, We can text each other, call each other. Hey, can, hey, babe, can you grab milk on the way home? We do this all the time. We talk all the time. But listen, here's what I know and you know in the context of relationships. It is possible that if my wife and I only communicate in the hustle and bustle of life, if our life, if our communication is simply just managing things and just, did you get this? Did you get that? Did you get this? That that is possible that even though we're near each other in proximity, that we are distant from each other relationally. And there is something categorically different that happens when my wife and I have date night. Something totally different happens when, I, when we say, you know what, we're going to intentionally carve out time, put the kids at the babysitter, put, put them there, and then go away and get FaceTime with each other and talk about our day and interact, not just about the details of life, but to interact on a soul level. There is something, and there, listen, there is something rewarding that happens. When my wife and I get time alone behind closed doors, there is a reward attached to that. And some of you are like, what reward are you talking about? And I'm like, that's for me to know and for you to not know, right? No, I just, I, no, but what is the reward? You guys know what the reward is, right? The reward is her. That's the reward. The reward is a synchronization of our hearts. That's the reward. The reward is that there's an alignment of, 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 our, of our relationship and there's a fortitude that comes in knowing that we are on the same page, that no matter what life throws at us, we're okay. We're good. And listen, listen, I, th- I think when, 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 God, when Jesus says, go to your father in a quiet place, what, what he says is he will reward you. And I think what he means by that is this, that you will experience a synchronization of heart, that you will align with his will, that you will be on the same page. And there is a fortitude that comes in knowing that you have a right relationship with God. I could just tell you that, man, that when you have a right relationship with God, it does not matter what happens around you. Because you have strength that you need in everything in that relationship, if that relationship is good. Just come to me. And, and if you, Jesus says, man, if you want your prayer life to go places it's never gone before, make time. Go be alone. Talk to your father. So the first type of prayer Jesus says, this is the false premise. Jesus says, false premise number one is performance prayer. Here's false premise number two. False premise number two is what I call <clears throat> prayer is transaction. Prayer is transaction. Where am I getting this from? Well, notice... Um, what Jesus says here in verse 7. <clears throat> he says, and when you pray, again, remember who he's talking to, disciples. So if you're a follower of Jesus, he's talking to you. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they're going to be heard because of their many words. All right? So Jesus, again, he's teaching about prayer, and he says, you, he says I want to teach you how to pray, but before I teach you how to pray, let me tell you first how not to pray. Let me tell you what prayer isn't. He says prayer is not a performance, but now he says prayer is not a transaction either. And so he, he talks about the pagans. See, the way the pagans used to pray is the pagan, the, they, would, they, would, um, they would use certain words in certain prayers, and they would believe that if they got those words correct in the correct order, and they would believe if I repeat this a certain amount of times, then God will do what it is that I want him to do. It's like a combi- if I get the right combination of words, I will unlock God, and he will give me what it is that I want. And they believe that. And Jesus says, this is not how I, I don't want you to pray 
I don't want you to pray as a transaction. You do your part and God does his part and it's just like a business relationship. He says that's not what prayer is, right? And again, some of you might be thinking, well, how do I know if I'm praying to God like a transaction? Well, I think Jesus gives us a couple um, indications here. No- notice first, the first one is the content of your prayer. Jesus says, you want to know if, 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 you have, if you're praying as a transaction? He says, look at your content. Look at the content of your prayer. Notice what he says here. He says, when you pray, don't, don't pray like the pagans who keep on babbling because they think they're going to be heard for their many words. See the content there? Uh, some of you have different translations. Your translation might say... Um, they think they're going to be heard because of their meaningless repetition. So that term, meaningless repetition, or uh, keep on babbling, it's actually a really fascinating word. In the original language, it is the word bada logeo. It's an interesting word. Logeo means word. And bada is actually a word that commentators believe is onomatopoetic. You guys know what onomatopoetic is, right? Onomatopoeia. It's a word that sounds like what it is, like pop or snap or bam. And so bada was an automatopoetic word. And so what Jesus is saying, he's like, look, when you pray to me, don't come to me and just be like bada 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 repetitiously. What's he saying? He said, watch your content. If every time you come to God, you simply say the same recited canned prayer every time, that your heart is not engaged and your mind is not engaged and your affections aren't engaged, he says, and that's that's actually a symptom that you might be basing prayer off of the wrong premise. If all your prayers are you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God, that's good, you know, and I could just say in my sleep. Right? We, we actually can do this with the Our Father. We could just make this a memorized, mindless mantra that we repeat over and over again, and he's saying, don't, 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 don't come to me like that. One of the ways you can know if you're praying to God as a transaction is based on your content, but the other one is, he says here, you can tell by your goal. What is the goal of prayer for you? See, because a person who views prayer as a transaction, do you notice what the goal is? Here's the goal. They think they're going to be heard. They're going to be heard. And by the way, the word heard that's used there isn't the word that means like to audibly hear something or register something. It's a word that literally means uh, to, to grant a request. It is to be heard in a favorable sense. And so what is the goal of this prayer? Here's the goal of this prayer. The goal of this type of prayer is to get God to do what I want. That's the goal of this prayer. So so I come to God and I pray a certain way and my hope is that as I pray, I can manipulate God to somehow accomplish my will to accomplish my desires. And you guys, I I just have to say this. I believe that in our culture, this type of prayer is probably the most common misconception as it relates to the way that many of us, and myself included, sometimes approach prayer. We view it as a transaction. God, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, and then then you're going to do the thing I'm asking you to do. You can hear it in the way we talk sometimes, can't you? We'll say things like this. We'll say, man, <clears throat> you know, I, I really want, I, I lost my job and I really want this other job. And so I prayed, I prayed, God, please give me that job. Please give me that job. I prayed that 20 times a day. God, give me that job. And someone else got the job. And we'll say this, I guess it didn't work. Now, what are we saying? Here's what we're saying. The transaction didn't go through. I approached God, I upheld my end of the bargain and he didn't deliver on his goods and services. And so because of that, See, see, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, if that's the way you approach prayer, you've misunderstood it. You're basing it on, you, you're think, you think it's a roller coaster, and that's not what it actually is. You've misunderstood the foundation of what it is that we're actually talking about. And so Jesus says this. He says, in contrast to that, notice what he says in verse 8. He says, don't be like them. Don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the hypocrites who pray performance prayers, who pray um, transactionary prayers. He says this. Your father, there he goes again, 
Your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven. You know, it's interesting to me. I don't know. I thought this was so fascinating. This little statement that Jesus makes here is so fascinating to me. He says this in verse 8. Don't be like them because your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Your father already, it's not like you have to repeat your prayer over and over. Like God is some aloof God who's not paying attention. And your prayers, he's like, oh, you wanted something? I, you know, that's not what he's like. He already knows what you need before you. He's your father, right? And I, listen, I know when, when I put that verse up there, some of you might be thinking this. You might be thinking, well, hold on a minute. If he already knows what I need before I ask, then why pray at all? Like if he already understood, why would I even pray? And let me just say, let me just say that if you resonate with that question, if that's a question that you find yourself asking, I'm actually really excited for you. And the reason I'm excited is because I believe that you're on the verge of a breakthrough as it relates to the true meaning of prayer. I think you are. I think if you look at a, if, you, if, if this, this verse to you, that the Father knows what you need before you ask him, is not an incentive for you to pray more, but it actually causes you to pray less, I'm excited for you. Because I believe that you are on the precipice of a breakthrough in understanding what the true meaning of prayer really is. And what is it? He says here, the true meaning of prayer is this. Our Father in heaven. It's not a transaction. It's not a performance. If you want to know what prayer is, you have to understand the foundation. You're talking to your Father in heaven. And you guys, here's the scandal of prayer. Here's the scandal. Because you and I are familiar with the Our Father, most likely. But you see, for the disciples, this would have been absolutely revolutionary to them. This would have been earth-shattering. This would have been scandalous that Jesus would have said. And why? Well, some of you guys know that in the Old Testament, there is a sense of inapproachability as it relates to God. When God reveals himself in the Old Testament, how does he do it? A burning bush, a, a pillar of fire, a pillar of smoke. In the temple, the Bible says that God dwells in the Holy of Holies. He's in the Ark of the Covenant, which you could never go in the Holy of Holies. And if you touch the Ark of the Covenant, you would die. There's a sense of inapproachability with God. He was dangerous. You can't go near God because he's so holy and he's so perfect. And the Bible would say that all throughout the Old Testament. And that's, it's no wonder then that 14 times in the Old Testament, God is called Father. Only 14 times. And all 14 times, it's in a national sense. It's like God is the father of Israel. But when you get to the New Testament, and when Jesus comes on the scene, over 160 times in the Gospels is Jesus calling God Father. He's all about the Father. He's like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I want to show you the Father. You need to come to the Father. Pray to God like the Father. And Jesus is saying, Father, 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 Father. And this would have been scandalous. What was Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, now that I'm here, Now, because of the life that I'm going to live and the sacrifice that's going to happen on the behalf of humanity, there is now available to you a relationship, a quality of relationship that is so so intimate that you can call the inapproachable God, Dad. This would have been a scandal to these guys. This would have been massive to them. So Jesus says, look, if you want to understand prayer, you don't need to look to the theology books. You don't need to look at systematic theology. You don't even need to look at church history. He says, if you want to learn about prayer, you could just look at a relationship. Look at a father and look at a child, and that will teach you what prayer is really all about. So what I thought we could do as we close is I thought maybe we could just press our minds on that for a second. 
And I thought, why would I do anything except for use the metaphor that Jesus himself has given us? And so that brings me to this. At this point, I want to introduce you to somebody. I, I don't know if she's available or ready to come up, but uh, this is, um, this, I want to introduce you to my little princess. This is my little Gracie. And then, of course, this is my wife, Jess. And this is our little girl, and she's really, really tired right now. Oh, I'm sorry, girl. She is, Gracie is, you guys have probably heard me talk about her because I love her. And she is, um, she is our little princess. So this is little Gracie. Gracie, can you say hi to everybody? <laughs> so cute. So Gracie, I'll just tell you a couple things about her real quick. Gracie is going to be a year old here in a couple weeks. And so she's, she's our little baby girl. She's actually our third. And so we have two little boys. We have a seven-year-old and a six-year-old little dude. And this, but she's our first girl. And so that means she's the princess, and that means she gets spoiled, and she does, and we love her, and she's just absolutely awesome. But, you know, I, I remember someone told me something one time, and uh, actually Ben Stewart, he's a ministry leader, um, down, he was down at Texas A&M for a while, but he said something I thought was so helpful. He said this. He said, every time you hold your child, you should think about your theology. And I thought, you know, that's really, really good advice, and so I've been doing that. And so I've been holding Gracie, and I've been actually thinking a lot about God. And I thought it was interesting. I started thinking, you know, what's true about Gracie is that the only reason she's here, the only reason that she's here is because uh, she is a product of love. And so her mom and I made a commitment to each other before God and before others. And because of our love for one another and because of an overflow of our love for one another, Gracie came into existence. And so Gracie exists because of the will and the grace of her mom and dad. And she is here because she is a product of our love. You know, I thought about that, and I thought, that is true about us, too. You know, the Bible says that. The Bible says that you and I are here, uh, not as a chance, not as an accident, that you and I are here not because we are the product of some kind of cosmic violence like some religions will teach. But the Bible says that we are the product of love, that God has existed in Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit for all eternity, and it's out of that loving relationship that humanity was created. And so God didn't create humanity because he was insecure or because he needed a friend. That's not why he did that. He did it as an overflow of his love to us too. I was thinking about Gracie and I was thinking to myself, you know, she doesn't really do much. She's a year old and this is about what she does, right? She does not clean up after herself. She does not do the laundry. She does not pull her weight at all. In fact, the only thing that Gracie can do really well is she can make a mess and sit in it until we come and clean her up. And yet, at the same time, we don't mind. My wife and I, we actually delight in her. We don't just love her, we like her. We like her a lot. I have more pictures of her on my iPhone than there are pictures of me in existence, right? And I like that about her. When I drive home from work and I think about her, I smile. I can't wait to be with her. And I speed sometimes to get home in Montville, which is a really bad idea, right? <laughs> but listen, guys, I think for some of us, we don't believe that about God. God, lo he doesn't just love you. He likes you. He loves, he's excited when you wake up. He can't wait to be with you. And, and he, he, you know, to, it's not because you perform well and it's not because you pull your weight around here. No, 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 no. It's because of who you are to him. He loves you. And I was thinking about little Gracie, and I was thinking, because she's my little girl, there's some things I want her to know about her, and there's some things I want her to know about me. 
So what do I want her to know? Well, I want her to know that she is very valuable to me. Not because of what she does, but simply because of who she is to me. She is very valuable. And so I don't ever want to see her devalue herself, and I don't want to see anybody treat her with, 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 in a way that is contrary to the dignity that she deserves. I want to see her treated well because I love her, because she's my daughter. Just thinking about it, I want her to know <clears throat> that I want to be with her, that I want a relationship with her, right? That I want her to tell me how she's feeling. I want her to tell me what she's thinking, what she likes, what she doesn't like. I want her to tell me what she, think is, what she thinks is funny, how her day is. I want her to tell me that. Let's be honest. I can get that information in another way if I wanted to. I could ask her mother. That would be a much more accurate depiction of probably what happened that day. But the reason I don't do that is because I want a relationship with her. When she's a teenager, I could Facebook stalk her if I wanted to. But I don't want to do that. I want her to tell me because I want to have a relationship with her. Because she's my little girl, I, I want her to know that I will do everything in my power, and I'm a limited person, but I will do everything in my power to protect and provide for her. Everything in my power. And so that is why she has two older brothers who I will train in mixed martial arts <laughs> and make sure they follow her around everywhere she goes. That's why when she starts dating, when she's 45, I <laughs> will exercise every resource that I have to protect her. I will utilize the ability I have to run background checks I have many friends who are cops, and I will get my concealed carry. All of those things will happen when that time comes. I also want her to know, because she's my daughter, I want her to know that there are times that as her daddy and as an adult, there are things that I will do that she will interpret as unloving. But I am doing them not because I don't love her, but precisely because I do. And so there will be times when I take her iPhone away, and there will be times that I limit her Internet usage. And there will be times that I might take the keys from the car from her when she gets older. And in those moments, she's going to think that I don't love her. But the reality is I'm not doing those things because I don't love her. I'm doing those things precisely because I do. It also, the fact that I call her daughter and she calls me daddy, that doesn't just say something about me. It also says something about her. It means that she is identifying herself with us, that she is part of our family. And because she's part of our family, our family has certain values and we have certain rules and we do things in our family different than the way that you do things in your family. And because of that, I expect her to live up to the name and to the image that she bears. Not because that, that, that makes her part of the family, but because she is part of the family. And you guys, it's the same thing. When we pray to God as Father, we're not just saying something about God. We're also making a declaration about ourselves. We are saying that we are part of his family, that we take on his values that we take on his rules and that we identify with his kingdom. That's what we're saying when we pray these things. And so here's what God says. God says when you pray, you don't need to look at the theology books. You don't need to look at, you know, church history. You can just look at this relationship. Look at a father and look at a child and that will teach you what the true basis of prayer is all about. And you, my sweetheart, have been so good and she's been sleeping. And I even brought some cookies up here in case things went awry, which I didn't need to use. So thank you, little Gracie. So I'll give you back to mom. And I'd ask you to give her a hand, but she's sleeping. So don't do that. <laughs> right, here you go, little Gracie. Let me ask you guys a question, though. Um, <clears throat> do you think that I am a better dad than God? No way. I am an imperfect person. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm sure I'm psychologically going to damage her in one way or the other. Right? And I don't want to. I don't mean to, but I'm probably going to do it, right? 
God, on the other hand, is a perfect heavenly father. So listen, for some of you, when I say God is father, you recoil. You don't, there's something about that you resist tooth and nail. Because maybe for you, your dad was mean or your dad was absent or your dad was not loving or your dad was neglectful or abusive in some way. And when I say God is dad, it evokes all of these negative feelings inside of you. But let me just help you understand that when the Bible says that he is our father in heaven, what that means is that he is a perfect father. He's perfect in his love. He's perfect in his patience. He is perfect in his power. And every, this is what Jesus means in Luke 11 when he says, Jesus says this, he says, which one of you fathers if your child asks you for an egg, is going to give him a scorpion. He's like, and which one of you parents, if, if your fathers, if your child asks you for a fish, is going to give him a snake? Jesus says, isn't that stupid? He's like, which one of you fathers, if your kid's like, hey, dad, can I have a snack? You're like, oh, sure, son, here's a snake. Like, who's going to do that? And so Jesus says, that's absurd, isn't it? And then he says, so, he says, so if you who are evil, that's what Jesus says about us. Isn't that endure, endearing? You who are evil, you are not perfect. He says, you who are imperfect, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You see, God is a perfect Father, and this is the starting place of prayer. So Jesus says, you want to know what prayer is? You want to know? Here, you have to first understand the, the essence. You have to understand the foundation, the premise, and the premise is this. God is Father. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as they do, I want to end with just one last thought, and then I actually don't want to close in prayer. I want to, let, I want to actually let you close in prayer. I want to give you some space to just pray, to interact with God um, in response to what you've heard. And I'll, I'll talk about that here in a second. But I want, to just, I want to end by just telling you I have this whole message. I have some bad news, and I have some good news. Okay, so let me give you the bad news first. Here's the bad news. That though it is correct that God offers to his disciples a relationship with God that is such that we can call him Father, not everybody can call God Father. See, see, see that, that prayer, when we pray our Father, some people take that to be universal. Like, oh, every human on the earth can call God Father, and that's not what Jesus is saying. See, the Bible makes it really clear that only the disciples, only those who follow Jesus and have put their faith in him, can call God Father. And the bad news is this, is the love of the Father is only available to the children. The love of the Father is only accessible to the children, right? That, that's why when I bring Gracie up here and I say, I love her and I'm going to protect her and those type of things, you're all like, yeah, that makes sense. That's a really good example. But if I was just to take some random kid, like if I was just to grab your kid and be like, I love him and I'm going to protect him, you'd be like, that's awkward and you should be in jail, right? That's not, why? Because the love of the Father belongs to the children. That's why. And not everyone can be called a child of God. So that's the bad news. But here's the good news. God invites everybody to be adopted as sons and daughters into his family through, through, through the hope and the belief and faith in Jesus Christ. This is what, he's, uh, what, what is actually said in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, John puts it this way. He says, Yet to all who receive Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gives them the right to become the children of God. How do you become a child of God? It's through faith and belief in the resurrected Christ of his life and his resurrection for you. And he is inviting every one of you. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. He's inviting you to be part of his family. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you some space. I asked the band just to play a little bit and just give you some time to interact with your father, to interact with God. For some of you, if you have never embraced God this way before, maybe for the first time you want to take some time and you want to do that. 
I also want to let you know that at the end of this service, when service is let out, if you are right now, you, you're in need of prayer. If you're going through something or there's a way we can part and you would like someone to pray for, we actually have people who are willing and ready to pray for you. And at the end of this service, they can meet you in this back corner and we'd love to do that. If you're a person who has never embraced Christ and you're like, you know what, I need to do, I, I want to embrace Christ. I want that. That I would encourage you, go pray with those folks. That's what they're there for. Take advantage of that as the service lets out. Okay, I'll give you space talk to your father.